May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The story is told of two little boys, twins. One was a pessimist and one was an optimist. They seemed so much alike on the outside, but their personalities were so strikingly different that it, it perplexed their parents, who eventually took them to a psychiatrist to find out what was going on. The psychiatrist took the pessimist into a room, and he, there were toys everywhere. And, and he tells the child, here, these toys are all for you. And this little pessimistic child burst out into tears. And the psychiatrist said, what, they're all for you? Do you not want to play with them? And he said, yes, I want to play with them, but I'm sure that once I touch them, they're all going to break, and then I'll not have nothing to play with, and it's going to be awful. The, the psychiatrist was puzzled, so he left the room, and he went and got the optimistic boy. And he took him to a different room. In this room, he had brought in wheelbarrows full of manure all over the place. The little boy, face lit up, he started digging in the manure everywhere, like throwing piles of it. And the, and the psychiatrist said, son, what are you doing? And the boy said, with all this manure in here, there's bound to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> a study just recently released by the University College of London where they took MRIs of people's brains, um, discovered, or at least in the study, they're saying that one of the causes of unhappiness is expectations. The expectations are the, one of the things that cause great levels of unhappiness. The, the, one of the neuroscientists, his name was Rob Rutledge, he, he wrote this, happiness depends not on how well things are going, but whether things are going better or worse than expected. I suppose the motto is, um, if you expect nothing, you'll never be disappointed. I always tell my kids, you know, that liking the Cleveland Browns, as we have to do, <laughs> is like a lifetime love affair with disappointment. You know, you, you just embrace it. It's part of, it's part of the, uh, the whole DNA of, of being in Northeast Ohio. I suppose that's true, but in some ways, life is really about managing expectations, isn't it? Managing our disappointments. I mean, suppose you're... You're on the highway. You have a flat tire. You pull over to the side. You know, you whip out your phone. You call the AAA place, and they say, oh, yeah, we'll have a tow truck out there in 10 minutes. And 10 minutes comes and goes, and then 20 minutes comes and goes, and then 30 minutes comes and goes, and then 60 minutes comes and goes. You know what you're doing, right? You're picking up the phone, and you're saying, hey, what, what gives? I've been waiting out here on the side of the road for the tow truck for a long time. I mean, there's some level of reasonableness to your expectation, what if farmers didn't farm and butchers didn't butcher? What if the sun didn't shine? What if preachers never preached? Hey, hey, back off. <laughs> what, if, what if drivers didn't stay on the right side of the yellow line? You have a reasonable expectation that they will do that, don't you? Have you ever thought about how there's nothing really holding you over there other than your own will? Sometimes I think about that, and then I think about everybody else on the road. And how scary that we have to have some expectations. We teach our children to have expectations. We, we even teach them that it's, it's a good thing. In fact, when somebody delivers on a promise, there's a great deal of happiness to that. I was in the, in the mall just a couple of days ago, and I'm walking through the mall. They have the big Santa in the middle of the mall thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so I'm, I'm walking through the mall. I see the big Santa, and something surprised me. They had Santa mic'd up. 
I've never seen Santa mic'd up. I mean, you could hear him like at the other end of the mall he's talking. You know, you're walking around. But when I, I got up near them and, and I, there's a little girl sitting on his lap and he's talking to her and he says, what would you like for Christmas this year, dear? And she says, I want a Barbie. I was really shocked that people still want Barbies, first of all. But second of all, that, that she's saying this, you know, and, and, and there's her parents standing in the front line and they're just beaming. They're just glowing because they already knew she wanted a Barbie. And they already bought the Barbie, you know. It's already going to happen. It is a fiat accompli. She is going to get that Barbie. And it's a few hours from now. I don't know who the little girl was or who her parents are. I'm assuming they're really close by. This little girl is going to open this little package with her Barbie doll in it, and she's going to be delighted. She's going to be thrilled. Her expectations are going to be met, and there's going to be real happiness. She's going to be very, very happy. As I was thinking about this sermon and I heard her say, I thought it would be funny if she said, you know, I really don't want anything for Christmas this year. I'm beyond the whole gift-giving thing. It just raises expectations and you get disappointed. I thought that would be hilarious if she had said that, especially since she was like four. Um, But what if she had said that? And then she got a Barbie anyway. Would she still be disappointed? I mean, I started thinking about the circular uh, reality of expectations and how even... Low expectations can be destroyed by somebody delivering what you didn't expect. But never is there a time when expectations are good things. It's when when you need something, when someone you need a thing, something, and someone you trust promises to deliver it. I mean, just small things. You know, a father says to his son, I'll pick you up after school. And the son actually gets picked up after school. You know, I suppose there's probably been a time or two where, you know, they didn't get picked up after school because somebody forgot. But usually, you know, like, like, I'll pick you up and then they're there. Or a wife says to her husband, I'll take care of dinner tonight. And dinner is actually taken care of. Or, you know, a, a child says to his or her parents, I'll take out the garbage before I go to school. And wouldn't it be great if that actually happened, right? <laughs> yeah, these expectations, something that you need, somebody delivers on it. Expectation is met and happiness is is quickly followed. The entire Bible, the whole Bible, cover to cover, is predicated on two realities. Number one, there is a problem. And number two, there is a solution. That's the whole story. In one little evening, you have discovered the entire point of the Bible. There is a problem and there is going to be a solution. The problem, of course, is the problem of evil. In its most basic form, it's the problem of evil. We call it a lot of different things, don't we? We call it selfishness or greed or sin or pain or war or crime or disease, all these sort of things that we call it, but it is essentially the same reality. It is evil through and through. And we cannot eradicate evil in the world simply by wishing it to be gone. We, can't eradicate, we can no more stop it from occurring in our world than we can stop the sun from rising. If you prefer a more scientific uh, analogy than the earth from revolving, you know, we cannot manage it. We can try to do our best, but it nags us at every turn that evil is a reality in our world from which we cannot escape. It's persistent. And the Bible's solution is in a Savior. The only way to be... To be freed from or to be delivered from, the problem of evil was through the life of the Savior. And it is continually promised. The Savior is continually promised throughout the Bible. Way back in Genesis, you remember the story. A man and woman are in the garden. Uh, 
eat any tree you want except for this one. Um, and so the woman's in the middle of the garden. A serpent appears and says, really, you don't want this one? And, um, and she sees it and she decides that, you know, in fact, I do. She takes and eats and she gives some to her husband who was with her the whole time. And he eats um, and then their eyes are open and they realize they're naked and they're ashamed, right? They flee from God. God shows up. Where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm ashamed. Did you eat from the tree? Well, says the man, the woman whom you gave me. And it's got to be somebody else's fault, right? The woman's fault. She, she gave it to me and I ate. And God doesn't even address the whole blame game. just immediately goes and he deals with one and the other. And he comes to the serpent and he says this. He says, the Lord God, or the writer says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, that is the offspring of the woman, shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a promise right there, right at the very outset of the invitation of evil into our world that God is going to deal with it. How is he going to deal with it? Through the offspring of the woman. Only the next child to be born wasn't that child. Wasn't the one who would crush the head of the serpent and neither was the next or the next or the next. And then years passed and decades and centuries And then a a nation was formed, and it became deformed, and became reformed, and still that child wasn't born. And then these preachers came along in Israel, and and they would say, there's one coming. You heard it from Isaiah tonight, didn't you? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. Listen to this. With justice and righteousness. That's the opposite of evil, isn't it? Peace, justice, righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Only Isaiah preached this sermon, wrote this book, and he didn't come. And he didn't come. And years passed and decades passed and centuries passed. And 700 years later, a young Jewish boy and a young Jewish girl received this message that a Savior will indeed be born to you. And what good news that is. You know, all the years that we've waited, all the way back to the garden, finally, here comes our deliverance. This should have been with great fanfare, right? I mean, the whole problem of the world, every single culture, every single person who's ever walked upon, who ever thought about the problems that humanity faces has to realize the problem of evil is at the center of every other problem that we have. This should have been a great delight. Kings should have come. People should have... But it didn't happen that way, did it? Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He wasn't born in the city. He was born in a backwater town. He wasn't born greeted by nobility. He was greeted by people of the lowest class in society, shepherds, lower class even than slaves. These were his witnesses. And how did he get to Bethlehem in the first place? He was bullied. His family was bullied by the government. Oh, yeah, the wheels are turning now, aren't they? But at least that's all over, right? At least all of that's in the past. 
No longer do we have to worry about evil in all of its many forms or about the government bullying us people around or any of that sort of stuff. War has been put to bed. Everything is good, right? Only not so much, right? See, the birth of Jesus didn't immediately undo every problem. But it did begin to undo the big problem, the problem of evil. See, the greatest problem that we face is not a lack of knowledge. It's not that we're not learned enough. That's not the problem. Listen, the last century, the 20th century, was the most learned century, the most knowledgeable century in human history. And what did we get out of the most learned gathering of people in the entire history of humanity? Two world wars. How many other despot rulers... How many other massacres? What do we get as we walk into the 21st century? The first 15 years have been nothing but war. You can't fly in an airplane without taking off your shoes and half your clothes, you know, getting body searched. What do we find if we walk into the 21st century, by far the most learned, most information-rich society? As much violence, hatred, greed, crime, war pollution, international terrorism, cyber attacks, and on and on and on. And we can't fix these problems with legislation, and we can't fix them with education. I know it makes you feel so powerless, doesn't it? We just can't, you know, you you can't outlaw terrorism. Outlaw it if you want. It's not going away that way, is it? You can't educate people and tell them why they should be kind to one another. They still won't be kind to one another. But we have something in Jesus that exists only in Jesus. We have hope. We have hope because we have a living reality. We can, in this very present moment, on Christmas Eve, in the year of our Lord, 2014, experience real peace here, right now. We can experience real peace in our families. And we can bring real peace to our communities. And we can have real joy and real delight, and we can be transformed from people who are bent towards sin to people who are bent towards God and goodness. We can have that right here, right now. I I imagine that somewhere in northeast Ohio, there is this little girl tonight who's probably like like luring around the Christmas tree, you know, and... um, and she's probably picking up little packages by now, has discovered how to write her name. Um, and she can make out her name on the packages. You know, so these big ones and medium ones. And, and then there's this one package, you know, it's about a foot long. And it's about three inches wide, you know, and a, an inch. It's just the perfect size for a Barbie doll. I mean, can you imagine this little girl right now? She's like shaking this thing and she's imagining what it's like. And, and tomorrow morning... While you're pouring milk over your Cheerios, she will have already ripped open that package, pulled out that Barbie doll, and would be an utter delight in the land of make-believe. And right now, in this same moment, we can travel back to Bethlehem. And we can see the hope of the world. No, not like we expected at all. This isn't the way we thought it was going to happen. This isn't what we thought the package was going to look like at all. But it's real. And it's present. And it's here now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.